Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to research that improves health, reduces recovery times, and brings new treatments and therapies to our area before they are available elsewhere. More information is at pinnaclehealth.org. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm WGAL News 8's Brian Roach, sitting in today for the vacationing Scott Lamar, who is having a wonderful time on vacation. I can tell by looking at his Facebook page, and he well deserves it. Uh, For those of you who watch WGAL, I'm the scam and fraud guy. I'm always covering uh, people who are trying to steal your money, take your money through one illicit manner or another. And today, we're going to be talking about just that. We're going to be talking specifically, first of all, about credit cards, your credit cards. Did you know that roughly about half of the American population in the last five years has been a victim of credit card fraud. And specifically today, we're going to be talking about credit card skimmers. This is a major problem throughout the country, and we have seen a tremendous increase in this in the Susquehanna Valley in the last six months or so. So we're going to talk about your credit cards, take your questions, and hopefully you're going to have a little more insight as to how credit card skimming works here in the Susquehanna Valley and across the country. Joining us in the studio today, Newberry Township, York County Police Detective Stephen Lutz. Lieutenant Lutz, I want to give you your your due here, and Christine Cronkwright of the Pennsylvania Bankers Association, uh, Detective Lutz and Christine, thank you for joining us. And I understand that joining us now on the phone is State Representative Kristen Phillips-Hill. Kristen, are you with us this morning? Good morning, Brian. Yes, I am. Well, thank, thank you, you for having me. Well, thank you very much. I'll get to you in just a second. I want to start with Detective L- Lieutenant Lutz, though, actually. Uh, we were covering a story earlier this year, which, quite frankly, is the most extensive skimming operation that we have seen so far in covering these stories at WGAL. Uh, and this was earlier this year. And, Lieutenant Lutz, I'm going to ask you for just, like, give me a 30-, 40-second uh, summation of this case in your area, in your county. Well, in February, the late part of February, I believe it was February 26th, 27th, our agency started receiving numerous uh, reports of individuals using their credit card information and withdrawing money from ATMs in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and as well as in the local area. Um, I believe in the three days, our agency had 34 victims, and approximately seventeen dollars to $18,000 was um, taken out of the victims' accounts. Um, so looking into it, we knew that there was an issue going on. However, we didn't know where the cards were being compromised. Um, through the investigation, we, we narrowed it down to one specific location, contacted the bank, and the banking uh, institution was able to run an analytical program and say, yes, this machine was compromised in January. So it was a month prior when the credit cards were actually compromised and the individuals used them 30 to 35 days later, and I believe that was because most um, stores, Mm -hmm. they only save their video for so long. So if they use it 30 days afterwards, there's a good chance that the video surveillance of them walking into the store would be gone. It would be overwritten. I do understand that five people have been arrested in this case, and we're going to drill into the details in just a little bit. But right now, I specifically want to ask you about the challenge that you faced when you went to charge people in this case, you ran into a little bit of a 
uh, shall I call it a surprise or a speed bump in terms of Pennsylvania law? Yes. Typically, when we uh, charge somebody with access or credit card stuff, it falls underneath access device fraud, and that encompasses the use of an ATM card or credit card mm-hmm. without their permission. Um, however, when I went to look at this, I knew we had an access device fraud, which that's what we charge. However, you would think that there would be a specific section for someone stealing your information, not just using it without permission. Um, and our challenge was is was to determine that an ATM was, in fact, a computer. And when we um, spoke to people, um, attorneys, they said, yeah, we believe it is. We had to dive into the definition of what a computer was, an ATM, and determine that it was a computer and from there, we had to use all the computer fraud sections mm-hmm. to charge these individuals. So you had to become a little creative. Is that a good way to put it? Uh, we just had to, to make sure that the verbiage of the state law, um, when it speaks to a computer, would meet the definition of what an ATM was. And and it did. Okay. Well, speaking of laws and verbiage, that allows me to pivot to Representative uh, Kristen Phillips-Hill, who joins us on the line. Uh, Representative, again, thank you for joining us today. I want to start out, though, by asking you in this little pivot here, uh, you, you have a personal involvement in this particular case that Lieutenant Lutz is talking about, don't you? Well, um, we, my husband and I had our credit card skimmed uh, in that same time frame. Um, and it's happened to us subsequently. And unfortunately, in South Central Pennsylvania, it's not uncommon. As a matter of fact, I was just um, tweeted at this morning by a sports journalist in, in the area who said it has happened to him twice as well. So you, you can't go to a barbecue, um, a carnival, church without hearing from someone that it has in fact happened to them. And, you know, it's interesting in putting out that we would be talking this morning, I I had a constituent message me on Facebook and said, why don't you just use the existing laws that you have to to prosecute these people? It's against the law, and we don't need more laws. And and I certainly agree. Um, I don't want to clog the books up with laws that we don't need. Um, But I think that Lieutenant Lutz, you know, framed it perfectly. They don't have the proper tools to prosecute these cases. And so I think it's incumbent on the legislature to to look at our laws and um, craft them in a way that gives law enforcement, whether they're um, on the streets or in the courtrooms, uh, the tools necessary to stop this theft. Have you been talking to some of your fellow uh, legislators in Harrisburg? Uh, what What movement, if any, is there... Uh, on, on adjusting these laws. Again, you know, you made it clear you don't want to see any more uh, um, unnecessary legislation added to the books, but are there discussions going on in Harrisburg? And, and if so, give us a little insight into into what direction they're moving. Absolutely. Um, even Speaker Terzai has said that this is a problem in his district out north of Pittsburgh. So this is something that people are experiencing across the state. And um, we're working with the Pennsylvania District Attorney's Office, um, or not District Attorney's Office, but the Pennsylvania District Attorney's Association. Um, And they are helping us to craft the legislation um, so that it meets their needs in the courtroom, as well as the needs of Lieutenant Lutz and uh, law enforcement officers on the street. And, And actually, many states have gone before us in 
um, passing legislation to address this issue. Um, Arkansas, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Texas, Florida, um, and actually, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. We've been able to look at some of those legislative efforts, and, and we believe that the Florida statute has done a, a pretty good job at addressing this. And if I may um, add, Florida Texas, is, uh, it's, it's not an exaggeration to say that Florida is the hotbed of skimming activity in the United States right now. It is the number one state in the country, and, and you have been studying uh, uh, what they have done down there legislatively? Right, exactly. You know, they have uh, done things with regard to revising the felony classification for, um, you know, unlawful conveyance of fuel. They have, uh, you know, done all the things that we probably need to do here in Pennsylvania and actually looked at the Texas law. The Texas law does a really good job of defining these different devices. Um, Lieutenant Lutz got into that uh, when he spoke. Um, we don't have the right definition under our law. So um, in working with the District Attorneys Association, in speaking to other uh, legislators, legislative leadership, um, we, are, we are hopeful to have a bill uh, ready to go in September. Um, unfortunately, um, you discussed it earlier on WITF, but the, the budget has really consumed uh, much of the time and effort of all parties in Harrisburg, and, and we need to get through that before we can continue to move forward with other uh, very necessary pieces of legislation. Well, speaking of time, Representative, I understand, do you have a limited amount of time? Or are you able to stay on the line here with us? Uh, I do. I'm, I'm headed off to Southern New York County to, uh, to talk about um, some issues with regard to um, electric transmission lines. Okay. So I, I really appreciate the work that you've done on this, Brian, and um, I look forward to continuing to work um, with all interested parties to make sure that we have the tools to combat this crime. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. We'll let you go and take care of your legislative duties, but uh, that is State Representative Kristen Phillips-Hill of York County. Thank you very much. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. We're talking with Newberry Township Police uh, Detective Lieutenant Stephen Lutz and Christine Cronkright of the Pennsylvania Bankers Association, who has been very, very patient. Uh, I'll get to you in a second, Christine. But uh, for our listeners out there, if you have any questions, give us a call at 1-800-729-7532. Again, that's 1-800-729-7532. Or you can email us at smarttalk at WITF.org. Christine, the million-dollar question. Is this... A major problem for the banks? Is this a petty annoyance? How would you clarify this from the bank standpoint? Well, I think it depends on what area of the state you're looking at. I talked to a variety of bankers across the state in preparing for this interview, and I had one tell me he's never seen a skimming case in his bank, which I thought was surprising. So I think what's interesting about this is that you tend to see these patterns. And you know you have these rings like we have we've had here locally, uh, where there are more criminals concentrated to one area because they have the ability to do that. However, credit card fraud, and I don't want to minimize that, credit card fraud is certainly um, a huge issue for banks. I think the the losses that come from credit card fraud account for, you know, one one banker told me about 50 to 60 percent of their losses account for uh, are, are from credit cards. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I think that, 
it's certainly a problem. Um, anything that impacts the customer is always a top priority for banks. So it's certainly something that we're looking at. The consumers that I have talked to, to them, having their card compromised, it's an earth-shattering event. It's they are, they feel tremendously violated, but in most cases, they're not liable. Is that correct? In most cases, they are not correct. There, there is a regulation out there that um, states that banks cannot charge more than uh, a customer could be liable up to fifty dollars. Um, but all the banks I talked to said, "Look, we eat that cost as part of our." cost of doing business. It's, it's, a, it's something that, um, unless for some reason the, the customer would have provided that information, uh, let's say they gave their pin out to 20 people, um, or they had some other um, situation where they didn't report it for three to five years uh, after it happened, those are really unique situations. For the most part, uh, most consumers see this and and report it quickly and uh, you know banks will make them whole and that's that's the job of the banks i think and and the responsibility they take on to um as part of their customer service another question i get from consumers what is the bank doing to protect my card i've asked this question of several banks and their their polite responses thank you for asking brian but we're not going to tell you (laughs) we're not going to make that public we're not going to uh, let the bad guys know what we're doing Tell us what you can about what banks are doing to fight these scammers. Sure, sure. Well, I think one of the most visible things that you've probably seen in the last few years, um, in October of 2015, um, there was a big push to um, for consumers to get chip-enabled cards. So if you look at your credit card now, you will see, most of you will see about 70% of all cardholders at this time have a small microchip on their card. And that will allow, um, it's called tokenization. Uh, it's, a, it's part of a, a bigger push um, to basically provide a unique identifier during a transaction. And it will create a unique code so that as your transaction is going through, um, it will protect that. Now, what happens a lot of times with a lot of these skimming cases is that they're at transaction terminals that are not chip enabled. So while that does help your card um, at a variety of locations, it's you know it's part of the whole system. Retailers, banks, consumers all have to be working together mm-hmm. to ensure a secure tra- transaction. So uh, that's one thing that banks are doing. That's been a big push. Um, gas pumps, retailers around the United States. A lot of you have seen. You go into your grocery store now, it's a chip enabled for the most part, um, those terminals. So the more that you can provide additional layers of authentication, the more secure the transaction is. So banks are moving toward that. Um, And I think looking at new technologies and new ways that we can be even more innovative and even more um, select in providing those unique identifiers that are unique to you as you take that transaction and as you do that transaction. We can morph into a whole other debate here about chips and the stripes still being on the card, but I do know there's a number of banks that are using software that detect that these when these devices are installed on their ATMs. And Lieutenant Lutz, let me go back to you. Uh, tr- we're on radio here, so try to, if you can, describe the skimmer that was, there was a skimmer recovered in the particular case that you were talking about in, in York County, which by the way, went up and down the, the Route 83 corridor. Was this a, what we call an overlay skimmer, which lays on top of the ATM? Uh, no, we believe the ATM skimmer that was recovered, we're not 100% sure that was the ATM skimmer that we used on our okay. 
um, ATMs within that establishment. Um, the one that was recovered was an overlay. Um, however, upon reviewing that device and the ATM within that convenience store, I don't believe that was one that was possibly used in ours. Um, an overlay skimmer uh, lays on top of the card or the slot where you slide the card in. And that's what we call co quite commonly an overlay skimmer. But they're becoming much more elaborate with Bluetooth devices, things like that. This group of uh, suspects arrested in your case, five of them, correct? Correct. They were all from a foreign country? Romanian. All Romanian, and they were related, as we understand. Uh, correct. Give us more of an insight. This was this was organized. I mean, this wasn't just a bunch of small petty criminals. It seems like they were rather organized. And we should also point out as we go along here, these people are still their trial is still pending as we speak. But it seemed rather organized, didn't it? Yeah. They um, from investigating this as well as speaking to other investigators throughout the the U.S. Um, it's a very sophisticated organization. I mean, they typically have a handler. The handler provides them with the devices and the uh, insight on how to commit this crime. Mm -hmm. um, and they typically go in in pairs. So one's a lookout, one puts a, an item on the ATM. Once that item's on, he goes, circles back, the other guy comes and puts the other item on. Meaning they might put the overlay skimmer on where the card goes through, the first guy while the other one's watching. Mm -hmm. He will circle back around, the other guy will go and install the camera. Um, because even though they have an overlay on there, that'll be able to capture the information on the magnetic strip. However, they need the PIN number right. in order to complete their transactions when they clone the cards. And when they install these skimmers, it's it's fascinating how fast they do it. Yeah, they typically fix with double-faced tape. And what should I be looking for? Is there is there uh, um, something I should be looking for when I go to these it, ATMs? It's it's hard to detect them. What I would say is, you look at the at the ATMs. If something looks out of place, don't use it. Everything should be like a seamless one piece. So if you see seams um, that it looks like there is a two piece section for where you place your card, I wouldn't use it. I would also tug pull anytime that you use an ATM. Um, if it, if the item that you place your card in moves, I wouldn't use it as a possibility there could be a skimmer on there. When we did this story with you a few months ago when they were all arrested, uh, I remember talking to you about how numerous police departments through York County uh, and throughout the area are involved in this. I asked Christine, is this a major problem for the banks? Is this a major problem for you as police departments? Because I'm sure that when you were trained as a police officer, you were not given training on how to look for a skimmer or how to, how to do a computer crime. Fraud in general for law enforcement agency is a huge part of what they deal with every day, mm -hmm. whether it's credit card fraud, um, being scammed by um, over the phone. Our agency, as well as other agencies, probably take two to three calls a day with some type of fraud. And, you know, sometimes it, you're able to track down the suspects and make arrests. Sometimes you're not. Um, quite honestly, a lot of this these crimes are committed by individuals from other countries mm -hmm. um, and it's it's hard to figure out who they actually are because they have layers and layers of identities um, going through different routers um, it's and, tough and Christine I, have to, I would have to imagine the banking industry they've got to be working hand in hand on this I mean, you, this cannot be fought 
from one bank to the other, correct? Absolutely. Uh, you know, banks might be competitors when it comes to getting you the best loan rate, but I'll tell you what, when it comes to cybersecurity, they work very closely together. There's a big network of information sharing, data sharing that happens, not just bank to bank, but also with law enforcement agencies. They're working on a, on a daily basis um, to make sure that you're your information is safe. About a year ago, I traveled out to Ohio, to Canton, Ohio, and I did a story, several stories at Diebold, which is one of the, uh, I think it's America's largest maker of ATMs, and they showed me some technology that they're working on involving biometrics, eyeballs, fingerprints. Is that the direction we're heading in? Are we getting away from uh, pin numbers? Are we moving toward eyeballs? Are we moving toward fingerprints? Are we moving toward uh, what's called two-factor authentication? Well, I think I had one banker tell me we are we are currently a card society, right? Everything is is based around your card, but we're very quickly moving into the cardless society, where yeah, I, I think f- to some extent credit cards will always be there, but I think there will always be uh, that push to get closer and closer to what makes that card unique to you, what makes that information unique to you. So whether that's a retina scanner, whether that's um, you know additional layers of security that, uh, that are existing within the card or within the authentication process during that transaction itself, uh, I think we're looking at all of those ways to make, make things safer. When we started, you said you had talked to a couple of bankers uh, about this problem throughout Pennsylvania. Someone said they hadn't been victimized at all. Tell me about the ones that have been victimized. What what insight did they offer you? Uh, are they frustrated? What are they doing to change it? Well, I think the lieutenant covered some of the challenges. Uh, a lot of these criminals that are coming in, you know, and I know when we talked before this show, you mentioned that you were hearing a lot from from viewers that the uh, part of the problem is people say, well, why can't you catch them on your cameras? You have ATM cameras, right. and it should not be easy to do. Um, Criminals are very smart. They know how to disguise themselves. And a lot of them, you will not see, I would say, and I, I don't know the exact statistics on this, but you, I would say 98% of the time, the skimmer is not being deployed in the area where uh, the criminal actually resides. So you're looking at somebody from Georgia putting a skimmer on uh, an ATM or a, a gas station pump up in Pennsylvania. Um, so identifying that criminal becomes very challenging. And, and certainly, you know, Banks are looking at the best ways to do that, and looking at how can we better, um, better monitor our equipment, better you know capture that information and anything that looks awry. Um, but, but yeah, there are some challenges out there, and I think we're actively working to address them. Uh, and Lieutenant, that is pretty much what Christine just described is what happened with your suspects in your case. I think you found out that they had been traveling all around the country. Yes, from analyzing their cell phones, uh, that were taken off of them in Maryland, they were all over the country. And, you know, it's important to say that these individuals, when they were using their cloned cards, they were targeting one specific ATM to use the cloned cards in. I believe that ATM was less secure. It didn't have a camera. um, And it didn't take that chip that... uh, So even if you used your card that had a chip and they collected the data, the machines that they were actually using the clone cards in, mm-hmm. they were a specific brand of machines and they were like in your convenience stores, in your pharmacies. They weren't using the clone cards at banking institutions, like no. the ones that you see on the side of banks. Right. Um, and, and the security for those cards 
is much less. Yeah, and they they will clone the card and not use it at a store because someone's going to check it. And if you if you would present a retail clerk with a white card, a blank card with a magnetic stripe on it, that's going to sell you out just a little bit. We have a question, an email question from a viewer. Is skimming always through ATMs? What if the card is not connected to the bank where you do your checking, your banking? Is that better? Not necessarily so. It's uh, I would guess the answer is not necessarily so because once they get the magnetic information off the back of the card, they can clone the card. Correct? It doesn't matter where, what, what, if, what ATM it is. If it's if you have a uh, yes, I mean if if you have a card that does not have and the terminal is not uh, where it's being used, whether it's a gas pump, whether it's um, a convenience store, wherever it may be, even a grocery store. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the more chip-enabled technology that's out there, the harder it is for them to clone that card. But without that, um, it, it is a lot easier. And I, uh, again, the big thing, and you talked about this earlier, but I can't em- emphasize this enough, the pin is really critical. So mm-hmm. your protection of your pin and your use of your pin and the way that you come up with that pin, you know, don't use the same pin for one credit card that you use for five others. Don't use the same pin uh, that you use for, you know, a password somewhere else. Um, and don't share it with your family members. Don't share it with anyone. Keep that close to the vest because, um, you know, if they don't have that overlay on there to capture your pin, they can't do anything with it and, right. until they have that pin. So I uh, can't emphasize enough that that's really critical. You keep that Don't be a lazy secret. consumer. Change your pin, change your password all the time. Right. All right what take- I recommend is when you're at the ATM and you're typing in your pin, cover the keyboard because if they have a camera on there, they need that pin. In this specific case, in those three days that the skimmer was applied, there was 304 transactions that took place between the time frame that the skimmer was placed. Out of the 304... Right now, there was only 70 successful transmissions totaling the 70, uh, totaling that $17,000. So when you're at the ATM and you're taking money out, cover cover the keyboard with your other hands and and type in the pin. Without that pin, they can't access your checking account. They might be able to obtain the information off your mag- magnetic strip. But to get money out of the ATM, they need the pin. That is great information. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Brian Roach. We'll be back in 60 seconds. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, bringing quality care to your community through Harrisburg, Community General Osteopathic, and West Shore Hospitals. More information on our locations is available at pinnaclehealth.org. Welcome back to Smart Talk. We're talking about credit card skimmers with Newberry Township Police Detective Lieutenant Stephen Lutz and Christine Cronkwright of the Pennsylvania Bankers Association. I want to touch on briefly something that at least we have been covering a lot at, at uh, WGAL. And that is the skimmers being found, I don't want to say on gas pumps, inside gas pumps. These, you cannot see. You can't, there's nothing you can do about it. Unless you open up that pump and get inside there, uh, you're not going to find out about this. Uh, Lieutenant, have you had any of these cases in your area, know of nearby jurisdictions that have had them? Uh, we've suspected there's been some skimmers placed on gas pumps, and I've heard other organizations that have had them. The key thing as a consumer is when you're at the gas pump, Every gas pump is sealed with a plastic seal that the organization or the company 
has placed on there. If that seal is broken, do not use your credit card there because what the the skimming people do is they cut that seal and then they place an electronic device inside the machine that you will never be able to detect. And I don't want to throw any particular guess organization under the bus here, but uh, our investigation has consistently shown that older stations that close overnight, they are the ones that are more susceptible to this kind of thing. I mean, you go to the major convenience stores, and I won't mention any names, but you know who they are. They're 24-7 operations. They've got lights on all the time. There's a camera running on every single pump, and it's going to be impossible to put a skimmer inside that pump. They need the key to open up the, uh, the door and get in there and put that skimmer in there. Um, they also t- usually target the outside pumps. Exactly. They don't usually target the inside pumps that are an eye view of the cashier. It's usually the outer pumps. Christine, I want to go back to you. What lies ahead here for the banking industry to deal with this? I mean, you touched on it a few minutes ago. We've got we've got the chips in our cards now, but the problem is we also still have the stripes. And that's what they're really after is that information on there. Um, and, I, and I may be putting you on the spot with this question. I apologize. How, how close are we to getting rid of that stripe altogether on our card? Is it, are we still years away? Well, I don't know if it's really a matter of getting rid of the stripe altogether. It's a matter of, um, like you mentioned before, that multiple forms of authentication. And and I think that we are moving very quickly toward that that kind of environment. And we're seeing it already in stores. Um, you know, you had some major data breaches at, at retailers um, in the last few years, and that's really pushed a lot of additional layers of security at the retail level, and I think a lot of retailers are, are coming on board. Um, fuel dispensers, uh, I read somewhere, you know, 10% of those a year are replaced and upgraded, um, and that we could see by 2020 that, you know, we will have 50% less fuel dispensers that have um, that don't have the chip-enabled technology. So you're you're getting closer and closer every year mm-hmm. to a more secure environment, but it does it takes time and it takes investment on the whole system on behalf of the whole system to uh, ensure those secure transactions. I always try to preach to consumers this is a two-way street. The retailer and the business has a certain responsibility. You have 50% of the responsibility. And when people talk to me about this, I say contact X company on this issue. See what you can do, first of all. But in, in this particular case, I've talked to a surprising number of people who are victimized by skimmers. They're not really totally aware of what protections their bank offers. It's worth a phone call, isn't it? It's absolutely worth a phone call. I think a lot of banks will offer fraud alerts and varying levels of security that you can opt into, and you can opt into at whatever frequency you would like to opt into those. Um, I also think that there are great fraud protection programs available at banks that if this happens to you, or you suspect it's happened to you, or you even have um, some transactions that might look a little strange on your account, and we would recommend that you regularly look at your balance um, to make sure that that's not happening. But if you see anything suspicious, call your bank and and talk to them about it. And they will walk you through. They have a very, most banks have a very uh, lengthy fraud protection process that will walk you through and escalate when they need to escalate, uh, depending on the severity of the situation. And I often hear from people, I don't have a computer. Well, you can still check on the phone. You can uh, get on and check your balance on the phone. Check with your bank. There's a whole bunch of security procedures uh, to to take advantage of. Before we wrap this up, Lieutenant, I want to go back to you one more time. You brought up a great point that I it slipped my mind, but uh, these skimmers, I can go out and buy one this afternoon, can't I? Absolutely. 
Just go ahead and get on the internet and buy one. I, <laughs> I, I was doing some research before I walked in here, and I found probably about 15 or 20 websites that you can just go in and, and pick what type of machine you're targeting and purchase a skimmer. Not only the skimmer, but the camera as well. Um, and typically, you can have a whole setup for under $1,000. And why isn't that illegal? That's the question I hear all the time. Why isn't that illegal? You can't answer. I understand. I don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm being facetious. But, you know, you get on the World Wide Web, and we have done a story on this as well. You can buy these skimmers from overseas. They come from Hong Kong, China, uh, Indonesia, wherever you want to uh, mention. Do you have any final tips for, for people on dealing with this? Um, I pretty much covered everything. You know, the best thing is you've seen something suspicious on an ATM, report it. You know, yank on the uh, the part of the ATM that your card goes through. Uh, be vigilant and look around. Make sure that no one's over your shoulder. Um, and do you want these crimes reported to you? Uh, yes, we do. So people ask me that as well. It's like, well, is it worth this reporting this to the police? It's a crime. Yes, you report it to the police, and you want to hear about it. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Lieutenant Steve Lutz and Christine Cronkright with the Pennsylvania Bankers Association, thank you so very much. I appreciate your uh, time. Hopefully we have a, a raised some awareness here of this issue. Uh, people, unfortunately, usually find out about it the hard way when they find out, oh, there's $1,000 missing from my bank account. But thank you for coming in today. We appreciate it very much. You can hear today's show and previous editions of Smart Talk at WITF.org slash podcasts or with the WITF app. You can also hear the entire program Tonight at 7, you're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. I'm Brian Roach. And welcome back to Smart Talk for this Thursday. I'm News 8's Brian Roach, sitting in today for the vacationing Scott Lamar. We're joined right now by Professor Andrew Hacker, the cybersecurity expert in residence at Harrisburg University. Uh, Andy, are you on the line? Yes, sir. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Good, Andy. Thank you very much. First of all, let's uh, recognize the elephant in the room, which I always do with you. Yes, there's tremendous irony in your last name, given the fact that you are a cybersecurity expert, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. Some folks have uh, asked me if I've changed my name, but uh, <laughs> I had it before cybersecurity became a, a big thing. So. Okay. So yep. we get that chuckle out of the way and move on like I always do when I talk to you. Andy, I talk to him a lot about cybersecurity issues. He's my guy mm -hmm. to go to, along with a couple other folks at uh, Harrisburg University of Science and Technology. Andrew, I want to spend some minutes talking to you today about the number one crime I'm seeing on computers in uh, the Susquehanna Valley for quite some time now. It's what we call the computer tech scam or the Microsoft tech scam. Can you give us a thumbnail version of what this scam is and how it works? Sure. Yeah, how the scam works is, uh, you know, someone who's, you know, got a computer at, in their home, uh, receives a phone call from some individual claiming to be from, you know, some version of Microsoft tech support, whether it's you know, their support group, their computer services group, uh, claiming that, you know, they've, they've detected some sort of problem with your computer and they usually offer to, you know, quote-unquote help, you know, either by, you know, having you install some software or, you know, go to some web page. Um, and typically they'll, they'll ask for, you know, maybe some credit card information, um, you know, to try to have you pay for these services. But uh, it really is a scam. I mean, what they're really trying to do is, trying to get access to your computer. So it's uh, definitely a big problem. Let's back up here. So um, they call me and they say they discovered a problem inside my computer. How did they discover that problem? Or did they? <laughs> right. Right, yeah. No, there's there's absolutely no way that anyone would be able to know what's going on, you know, inside your machine. I mean, you know, you've got, you know, some kind of Internet connectivity. Um, you know, if you've got any Microsoft products, um, you know, you always have a firewall somewhere, a firewall being something that, basically keeps the, the people out on the Internet, you know, outside and keeping them from getting inside. So there's really absolutely no way that they would know if there was any kind of problem whatsoever unless you told them yourself. 
would my computer have to be connected to a network for them to discover that? Uh, right. Um, if yeah, if they're claiming to know anything about your computer, it would have to be connected. But um, you know, typically your computer does not you know notify anybody that there's any problems. Right. Ninety nine percent. Ninety nine percent of home computers. Ninety nine point nine percent of home computers are not connected to a network. Right. Yeah, well, it depends on, you know, the kind of use. I mean, I would think most people do browse the Internet, um, so, you know, they would have some connectivity. But, yeah, I mean, if I'm just, you know, using a, a spreadsheet or, you know, Word docs or, you know, um, any kind of software that's just on my computer that does not connect to the Internet, then, yeah, there's no reason for it to be connected. Okay, so to take a step back here, you said they're trying to get into your computer. Once they get in there, what are they doing? Do we have any idea? Sure, yeah. I mean, if, if they get access to your computer, either, you know, via clicking some link uh, that you get in email, or if you do, you know, fall victim to the scam uh, and wind up installing software, you know, some kind of malicious software on your computer, um, then in some cases, unfortunately, they, they almost have free reign to your, to your machine. Um, you know, they may be looking for certain files that have personal uh, information on there. They might be looking for bank account numbers. Um, in some cases, this malicious software can even, you know, monitor all of your keystrokes. So if you're logging into your bank account, you know, they could be literally, you know, recording every every password that you put in there. So, uh, you know, the, this malicious software is actually very dangerous. It's, it also can be very benign. Some of the cases that I've looked at, uh, the, the scammer gets in there and they simply lock up the computer with this very threatening message that uh, the U.S. Justice Department is looking at you because you did this, you stole movies or you stole uh, uh, pornography or you stole music or something like that. And they just lock up the computer, basically holding the computer for ransom, correct? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, certainly there's always some sort of financial motivation for these types of things. I mean, typically they say the average um, amount of financial loss for the victims that actually you know, do suffer financial losses about eight hundred and ninety-five dollars. So, I mean, usually it's you know small, smaller piece, you know, amounts of money that add up, you know, to large amounts when you you talk about a large number of victims. Um, but yeah, what you're um, what you're talking about there is ransomware, um, and a famous version of that is crypto locker. Right. Um, there there have been some pretty big um, worms, you know, spreads uh, throughout the whole you know globe based on ransomware. And what happens with ransomware is this, you know, this is, a, you know, an even more malicious type of, of attack where um, that software, once it gets on your machine, will actually go to, you know, your My Documents folder, you know, look for some of your personal items, your photos, your pictures, um, you know, your spreadsheets, and actually will encrypt them, um, which is to basically make them, um, you know, unreadable by anyone without a key to unlock them. Uh, and then they'll actually tell you, hey, go to this website. Um, and you know, give us money, and then we'll give you the key to unlock it. Um, and this is sort of a this is sort of a new version of that that same scam where, you know, they'll say, oh, you've got some problems with your computer. Um, go to this site, and you know, they'll trick you into basically installing some some malicious software on your machine. So it's uh, you know, it can be very dangerous for sure. And that leads to a question that I've heard from many viewers: How how do they get in my sh- machine, or how do they do this, or how do they know? How do they get this pop up to appear? Uh, on my computer, these scammers can can bury links virtually anywhere on the internet. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, so any website, um, you know, has you know, as you said, has links uh, on there where you can click them to go to different pieces of content or to other websites. And what happens is, 
um, the scammers will embed a special link in there that can create these pop-ups. In some cases, they're just annoyances. You know, you might, I don't know if you've ever had this happen where you go to some, you know, link and then you keep getting these pop-ups and you can't close them and then you wind up having about 50 of them on your on your desktop. And, you know, they can be extremely annoying, but, you know, the more um, serious case of that is that they will actually what's called redirect. So they'll, you know, move you on to some other site that's not, you know, the original site that you're going to um, with this this pop-up that, you know, they can really craft whatever message they want, whether, as you said, if it's, you know, you've been, you know, detected as, you know, downloading illegal, you know, content or, um, you know, some other uh, problems with your computer, they can really manipulate that and, you know, say whatever they want. And these pop-ups um, that appear, they, they, they are very ominous. They're, they warn you in big red letters, do not turn off your computer. Call this phone number right away. Should I, in fact... Ignore that and actually turn off my computer. Oh yes, certainly. I mean, if you get any get in any kind of situation with, with like that where you have a lot of pop ups or um, you know they have these ominous messages, then yeah, for sure you you can completely turn off your computer. You know, reboot. Um, you know, the key is is just to keep in mind that you know any communication that that you have that deals with your computer always should be originated by you. Um, you should never, you know, take anything that comes into you unsolicited. I mean, just like anything else, you don't want some unsolicited person coming and knocking on your front door because it's probably a, you know, salesperson. Same kind of thing. Um, you know, Microsoft. You know, if you go to their website and they talk about this scam, they say, you know, Microsoft themselves says we will never contact you, you know, without you first initiating contact with us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you can safely, you know, disregard this, um, you know, in more serious cases as it could be something like a ransomware, um, you know, there might be you know, a little bit more involved there. But, you know, certainly um, no one should be calling you on the phone or closing your computer to, to have something pop up on well, your screen. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. We're, I mean, we're talking about pop-ups on the computer, but I, I think a s- slightly more often, maybe 60, 70 percent of the time, this all starts with a phone call, somebody calling and saying, we're with Microsoft and we've detected a problem with uh, with your computer. And I have a, v- a viewer question here right in front of me that emailed in, how do they get my number? Well, they don't get your number, do they? they just, they're just taking a shot in the dark here, aren't they? Right. Well, in some cases there are. There, there's a couple ways that this happens. One is um, they have what's called a, a you know a robo dialer, which is something that literally just goes through you know every possible number in your area code. So let's take seven one seven, you know all of the possible digits. They start with zero 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 one and dial that number and keep going until they they get someone who picks up and answers the phone. In other cases, um, there are published lists. You know there are companies that you know buy and sell you know phone numbers. If you ever give your phone number out to you know, any any kind of retailer, you know, in some cases they might go on some lists. Um, people do purchase them, you know, just like email addresses. They can purchase email addresses and use that to, you know, do the same kind of email. Uh, they call it a phishing scam. So, yeah, there are a lot of ways people get your number. I mean, it's great, you know, definitely keep your, your number unlisted and, you know, try not to give out your phone number, um, you know, as much as possible, you know, unless it's a, you know, a retailer or somebody that you really trust. We're discussing a computer repair scam with Professor Andrew Hacker, the cybersecurity expert at Harrisburg University, or one of the cybersecurity experts. I know you guys have a great team there. Um, Andrew, another question I hear from viewers all the time whenever we do this, who are these people? Is there a single solitary organized group, or are these just random crooks out there just randomly targeting people? That's a great question. Yeah, I think the answer is actually both. I mean, in some cases, they, you know, they might be 
you know, smaller groups or individuals. Um, and you know, they really could be anywhere because, you know, it's so easy to really, you know, fake where you're coming from, you know, even, you know, caller IDs, you can, you can have software that can change that caller ID to really anything they want. They could, you know, call it some well-known retailer. I think in some cases they've actually said it's the White House calling. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there, so there was a case um, where Microsoft and the Federal Trade Commission actually did indict a, a larger group. Um, they were in Florida, and they were called client care operations. And from 2013 to 2016, they defrauded over 40,000 victims uh, in the U.S. Um, and defrauded people of over $25 million. So, yeah, in some cases, these are, you know, organized groups that, you know, have some resources, they have access to information, you know, they might have a, you know, a team of, you know, people on the phone that can make all these calls. So, you know, they, they, they can be organized, for sure. Andrew, who is, or what group is the most commonly targeted and affected group of consumers with this scam? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly um, folks that, you know, maybe not didn't grow up with computers or, you know, might not be as, you know, technically savvy. Um, you know, um, my, you know, my, my parents, you know, a lot of times they'll, they'll call me up and say, Hey, I saw this pop up and, um, you know, what do I do? So, uh, you know, really it's people that, you know, haven't been around computers for a long time and, you know, maybe don't, you know, know all the ins and outs and, you know, that that's where they would target them. Sure. Recently, I did a sad story, a very sad story of a woman, an, an older woman in uh, southern Adams County, where she got involved in one of these scams. And when she told me how much money she lost, I thought maybe mm. she put one too many zeros on the number. But I did confirm in the end it was $65,000 that she wow, lost yeah. in one of these scams. She was targeted in pretty much the manner you're describing. Uh, where she got the phone call, but then after she said she sent them about three or four thousand dollars, they evolved into threatening her. They knew a lot about her personal information. Uh, they had apparently gotten into her computer. They knew how much money she had in her bank account, right. and they basically extorted her into uh, sending that amount of money. I mean, have have you heard of a case like that? That extreme? Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever heard anything that extreme. I mean, that that's really terrible, and you know, certainly taking advantage of of someone who you know might you know really think those threats are real and you know respond to them. And I'm sure they did it over time, so it was you know a little bit here and a little bit there, and over time it you know came out to that great amount. But yeah, I mean, certainly if they they had access to her information, they could they could craft those threats so that they you know really did affect her, you know, and and you know, she had no one else to turn to, to, you know, talk to, to see if this is real or for support. And then sure. Yeah. I mean, um, it's a very sad story for sure. You used to work for the Commonwealth and it recently came out that 90, there were 90 billion. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing that billion, not million, billion attempts to get through the state's firewalls, all agencies, uh, in 2016. Oh, uh, oh, sure. D- does that, th- does that surprise you? You're, you're a cybersecurity expert. Does that surprise you? Cause I know pop my eyes out of my skull. Yeah, no, no, actually, sadly enough, no, it doesn't because, you know, I've seen, I've seen the computer systems that, you know, and actually, you know, helped help build some of them that, that defend the Commonwealth networks. And, you know, these, um, these appliances and these devices, you know, they're they're under constant attack. And you know, if you look at if you look at what's called the logs that monitor pretty much every connection that comes into the to the Commonwealth, you can actually see those numbers. It's it's really quite astounding. And you know, a lot of cases, um, 
it, it's automated. So, you know, they've got software that is constantly, you know, sort of knocking on the door, I guess, to kind of look for holes and poke around and see if they can, you know, find some entryway. So, yeah, it's, you know, the, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has a, um, you know, a great group of expert systems in their uh, Enterprise Information Security Office that, you know, are constantly, you know, monitoring all of the, the Commonwealth systems and making sure, you know, to keep the bad guys out. Um, but, you know, it's it's a it's a cops and robbers kind of game. It's, you know, um, the security folks have to be right all the time, and you know the bad guys really only have to be right once, and they can they can do a lot of damage. So, I, I have uh, just about a minute, Andrew. I want to yep. the final thing I want to touch on is I, I feel that a lot of consumers that I talk to they treat their computer like it's kind of a play toy. It's uh, you know I'm going to look at Facebook, I'm going to look at my social media, I'm going right. to read my email. Uh, there are, as you're just saying, there are people out there. It is their job. It is their job to infiltrate yep. our computers. Um, are they, and maybe I'm being the wild conspiracy theorist here, but are these hackers from across the, the world, are they trying to get into our computers here in the, in the United States and build kind of a, a net, a botnet, something like that? Oh, yeah, that's, that's definitely, it's not conspiracy theory at all. I mean, it's um, any kind of computer, and this is what, you know, the big recommendation is always make sure your computers are patched and that, you know, your, your antiviruses are up to date. Because what they do is they look for computers that are, you know, don't don't have everything up to date, and they find they know the holes. So they actually they assemble them into this big what they call botnets. You know, tens of thousands of computers, or you know, even over older software that might not be supported anymore. And they use those computers to you know do all kinds of things. You, you know, attack you know legitimate websites. Even you know Facebook and other sites get constantly barraged by these botnets, uh, or they use them to you know as entryways into other systems. You know, government systems. You know, looking for valuable information. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly reality. And I'm glad there's guys out there like you who are trying to keep tabs on all this and trying to stop <laughs> the bad guys. Andrew Hacker with uh, the Harrisburg University of Science and Technology, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate your time. By the way, Andrew's on vacation. He gave us 20 minutes of his time today to get on the phone <laughs> and talk to us, and he's really serious about this stuff. Andrew, thank you very much, and thank you for My joining pleasure. us. And thank all the listeners for joining us today on Smart Talk. I'm Brian Roach from WGAL News 8, sitting in today for the vacationing Scott Lamore. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health Spine Institute, offering a complete range of services to diagnose and treat your spine condition. More information is available at pinnaclehealth.org/spine.